Welcome back to Held and Healed. This podcast is a resource filled with resources to help you on your healing journey, especially for women who are rebuilding their lives after abuse. This is also a great place for anyone who is walking beside those women who wants to simply know how to know better and do better and be a blessing instead of causing further harm to a woman who's on that healing journey. I myself am on a journey and have been um, just learning from some amazing people and have a Facebook group that is called Held and Healed Christian Women Rebuilding After Abuse where women are welcome to come and hang out with other like-minded women who have had similar experiences. And in that group, I have shared thousands, if not tens of thousands of resources over the last two years. So I just welcome any woman who might be listening right now who wants to learn and grow and heal to join us at Held and Healed. Today, I would like to attempt to tackle the topic of spiritual abuse. I know this is a really big topic, and we will scratch the surface, but I created a blog post a while back, and just if you're a note taker, you don't really need to take notes. You can just refer to this blog post. It's at heatherelizabeth.org, and you just click on the blog tab and scroll down two or three um, posts, and you will find one that's titled, Are You Experiencing Spiritual Institutional Abuse? And pretty much everything I share from today, at least the, the bullet points, will be in that. So part of my story that I have shared bits and pieces of is that I did indeed endure decades and decades of spiritual abuse and did not know at the time that it had a name. I sensed that something was wrong. I sensed that something was oppressive and not right and probably even understood that there was some abuse of some form happening, but I just didn't know that spiritual abuse was a reality. And since my eyes have been opened to this, A lot of light bulbs have turned on, and this is a topic that we discuss very frequently inside of our group because what happens so often is that someone is abused in their home, either as a child or as an adult, and then they go to their church for help. (coughs) Excuse me. They go to their church for help, and what happens more times than not, this is just reality, folks, more times than not is that church is either ill-equipped unwilling to become equipped and or is abusive itself and they re-victimize and re-traumatize the victim on top of the trauma that they've already endured in their home the institution that they come to for help just layers and I have actually heard women say and I've heard many women say and my own experience agrees with this is that the harm that was done to them the abuse that they received from their spiritual leaders a lot of times feels worse. It feels worse than what they endured at home. That's tragic because we come to church expecting it to be a place of safety, expecting it to be a refuge, a shelter, a haven. And far too often it becomes a place of further pain and harm. So that is the angle that I am coming from. And then I wrote at the top of this blog post, and I will just add this As a disclaimer, please excuse me. I'm dealing with seasonal allergies this morning. And I have started this multiple times. And I just want to roll at this point. So I said, please note, I write this to expose the realities of spiritual abuse. I lived these realities for nearly four decades. And I have met thousands of others who have been abused. I write for them. 
Phrases like, no church is perfect, or, but there are good churches, or keep your eyes on God, not people, have been staple responses used to gaslight survivors and to minimize horrific suffering. Please don't say these things to survivors. This post is intended to comfort them. The list is going to continue growing. I am sharing some of the most common examples I have experienced or that I have heard about. (coughs) Excuse me. So as we go through this, just understand that this comes from a very personal place, that almost every single thing I'm about to read to you is something that I have experienced and that multiple women in my life have experienced. So how about a definition before we even begin? What is spiritual abuse? And this comes from The Subtle Power of Spiritual Abuse by David Johnson and Jeff Van Vonderen. I hope I said that correctly. Spiritual abuse is the mistreatment of a person who is in need of help, support, or greater spiritual empowerment. It's the result of weakening, undermining, or decreasing that person's spiritual empowerment. Spiritual abuse can occur when a leader uses his or her spiritual position to control or dominate another person. It often involves overriding the feelings and opinions of another without regard to what will result in the other person's state of living, emotions, or spiritual well-being. Spiritual abuse can occur when spirituality is used to make others live up to a spiritual standard, and when that's not met, the individual is left bearing the weight of guilt, judgment, or condemnation, and confusion about their worth and standing as a Christian. It is at this point that we say spirituality has become abusive. I would like to also add my own disclaimer. I am a lover of God. I'm a lover of Jesus. I'm a lover of his word when it is taken um, with original context and language and culture and the heart of God is all held and, and, and considered instead of just cherry picking a single verse and taking it and developing a whole theory or theology that is abusive and oppressive. I think it is so vital that we know the God of the word above and beyond the word of God. Okay. That is so crucial. We have to know who he is. We have to know his heart. And so often the sermons that we hear, the verses that are used to mistreat and abuse and harm others, it does not reflect the actual heart of God. So I am not a hater of God. I'm not a hater of the Bible. I'm not a hater of church, but I am someone who does despise abuse. I despise the systems of abuse. I despise oppression. And I will spend my life and my energy defending the ones that need to be defended. And if you look at Proverbs 31, the verse is before just right before you dig deep into the quote-unquote Proverbs 31 woman, okay? There are verses about speaking out for the oppressed and standing up for those who cannot stand up for themselves. And I'm like, why is it? And I have heard so many sermons on the Proverbs 31 woman, and not in a good way either, in a very condemning, you're not living up to the standard, you're not good enough. And the verses that come right before (laughs) original scripts and and manuscripts did not have the breaks that our Bibles have now. Those verses just prior speak all about speaking up for those who cannot speak for themselves. Well, that is the part of Proverbs 31 that I know for the rest of my life I will be focused on. I may not have the physical energy to go out and sow and reap gardens and 
sew garments and trade and have real estate and all the things that that woman did, okay? I may not physically be able to do those things, but what I do have the energy to do, what I do have the strength to do is to speak up. And this today is one way that I'm doing that. I invite you to ask yourself some really hard questions, okay? And if you find yourself checking off several or many of these things, you are most likely either experiencing spiritual abuse or you have in the past. So this is another um, one of those situations where if you find yourself getting overwhelmed, dysregulated, seriously triggered, because this could be very triggering if you've experienced it, just shut off the podcast Take a walk, get some sunshine, pet your dog, call a friend, do some journaling, set up a therapy session because this stuff is going to hit really close to home for many of you. I don't want to overwhelm you. I do not. That is not my heart. If you know someone who is going through this right now and maybe just doesn't recognize it or see it, you may or may not, depending on the person, you may or may not want to share this. This may be overwhelming. So, Whatever your situation is, honor you. Take a break when you need to take a break. Do not let this spin you out, okay? I'm sharing this as a resource to help turn on lights, but my desire is not to overwhelm anyone. And so I begin asking these questions. Is there a strong emphasis on authoritarianism, patriarchy, male headship, or silencing of women? first question. Do you feel that you are never blank enough? Okay. And you can fill in good enough, spiritual enough, pretty enough, prominent enough, strong enough marriage. You fill in the dots. Do you feel that you are never dot, dot, dot enough when you are in the midst of this institution or people from this institution do you feel that you need the leadership's permission or blessing to minister or to make everyday life decisions are you at a place where every time you make a decision about how you're going to minister to someone in your community or what house you're going to buy or what car you're going to buy or what outfit you're going to buy do you feel in the back of your mind that so and so would be um, ashamed of me or I need their approval. That is a sign that you are in a spiritually unsafe institution. Does the leader slash leadership call all the shots? Are you expected to be at church several times each week and to volunteer your time or do you feel guilty if you cannot? And this is where I talk about spiritual FOMO, the fear of missing out. Is there a sense that if you are not in the inner sanctum, that you are not going to be good enough, you're not going to be liked enough, that you're going to be missed or overlooked for a promotion within the church? Or do you have a sense of guilt if you can't? Do you work, you know, 40, 50, 60 hours a week, have a family that you need to take care of and still feel pressure that you have to be at church multiple times a week? Is there sin leveling, spiritual bypassing, or toxic positivity? Now, I did not um, write out definitions for each of these things, but let me see if I can just do this off the top of my head. So a very simple way of looking at sin leveling is all sin is equal. Okay? Things like, well, nobody's perfect, or but for the grace of God go I, or 
I stole a pen when I was a child, so I'm just as bad as a child rapist. Those are all examples of sin leveling, and that is absolute crazy. Not all sin is equal. Not all sin has equal consequences and ramifications. Not all sin leads to death, okay? There are certain sins that can lead to death. God does ask us to repent. He does ask us to confess our sins. He does ask us to turn from our sins. But saying that someone who stole a pen from the doctor's office and someone who raped a child is the same is not at all the heart of God. You know what God says about what someone does to one of these little ones. Millstone around the neck. It would be better for them to have a millstone around their neck and thrown into the sea. He has very strong feelings towards those who harm others. Spiritual bypassing. So this is something along the lines of someone pours their heart out and we say things like, have you prayed about it? A woman comes to her her pastor and she is enduring horrific emotional, verbal, psychological, financial abuse at home. And a pastor says, well, God hates divorce. Okay, those are examples of spiritual bypassing. Toxic positivity is someone who will not sit in the midst of hard things with people and wants to say, oh, but there's just, there's something good in every day or you have so much to be grateful for or at least such and such didn't happen to you. So those are just some very brief examples of sin leveling, spiritual bypassing, toxic positivity. Um, Praise the Lord. Okay. People who say that that don't mean it, that is a major, major turnoff, and it is an example of spiritual bypassing. No matter what's going on, fought with your wife and your kids all the way to church, called your wife horrible things all the way to church, and you walk into church, and you turn this switch, and you put this big smile, and you're praising the Lord, brother. Okay, I'm getting triggered myself. Is the term, but for the grace of God go I, used as to downplay gross and criminal offenses. So again, when we're talking about people who have harmed others and then that is used um, as a, just a blanket and spiritual bypassing. Do others quote Bible verses to diminish or dismiss your pain? These are all examples of spiritual bypassing. Have you been told that your sickness or your suffering is due to sin in your life? Whoa, whoa, whoa. Okay, if suffering and sickness is due to sin in your life, every single person would be sick pretty much all the time because we all sin. We all fall short almost daily. So throw that out. Do leaders teach that suffering in the world is a result of quote unquote sin in their lives, but suffering quote unquote in house is quote unquote persecution? Okay, what do I mean by this? I have seen this double standard in churches where as soon as someone out there in their eyes, okay, because there's, there's this us and them mentality. As soon as someone out there has suffering, sickness, that it's because they have sin in their lives. But if something happens to one of our precious people who are in-house, who are the favorites, then it's considered persecution. So that's a very double standard. And I do remember the church that, you know, I grew up in that after 22 years and 15 years of that was horrendous, okay? There were about seven years of ignorant bliss, I think is what it was, and then 15 years of excruciating hell, okay? And what broke the the straw that broke the camel's back was when someone in our midst um, was in a car accident and she couldn't even walk. 
and I was trying to help get a wheelchair ramp assembled at her house so that she did not have to crawl from her car to her home like an animal because that was extremely degrading and it broke my heart to know that she was doing that. And when I presented this to my small group at the time, someone in that group said, well, so-and-so is doing this and such and she just needs time alone with God. So we're not going to reach out to her. Okay. That is absolutely bullcrap, not the heart of God in the least bit. So that kind of mentality is absolutely vile. Does the institution emphasize what you're doing or what you should be doing for God rather than what he has already done for you? So works-based rather than God has already done. Jesus has already paid the price. Is there a quote-unquote mini-sermon before the offering which causes you to feel guilty if you do not give? I'm not going to get into all of the theology and all of the history of tithing and all the things, but here is a very simple thing. You as a woman, especially those who are rebuilding their lives, you may not have enough money to feed yourself and your children right now. And I just want to say, peace be with you, dear one. You do not need to put offering money in a tithing. You do not have to do that. There are dear, amazing people who know God's word who have shared with me that tithing is actually an Old Testament practice and that what the New Testament says is that God loves a cheerful giver. You can give more than your money. You can give your time. You can give of your your listening ear and your compassion to someone. But if you're in a position where you do not have enough money to even pay for groceries for you and your children, just be uh, at peace. What churches should be doing is giving to you right now, not the other way around. And that is how I feel. And I, I feel very strongly about this. And if you are being guilted to give money that you do not have and then go without basic needs, I do not believe that that's what God wants for you. So anyway, some may completely shut down and turn off this podcast after they hear this. Others may feel absolute relief at that. Again, do you know the God of the word? And God knows that things have been stripped from you and taken from you and that you were probably, some of you were stay-at-home mamas who gave up your life and your career and any kind of advancement of, of um having having resources and now you're left with absolutely nothing and this is the time for the body of Christ to come beside you and help you as a spiritual widow and your kids as spiritual orphans this is not the time where you need to be putting money you do not have into an offering and those of you who are tithing still and giving to an institution I just ask you do you know where that money's going do you know how it's being used are there people in your midst and people in your community that are going without their basic needs of food and clothing and shelter. And would you consider giving to those people instead of to a church just to keep a fancy building open and to pay pastor salaries, which may be exuberant. So just throwing that out there as an option. Is there a lack of disclosure or accountability of the institution's finances. If you are giving to an institution, you should be able to have a quarterly statement of where those finances are being used. I believe that. Have you expressed physical or financial needs and then been ignored? Again, many women in that position right now that need their basic needs to be met. And if you've expressed that to your church and they haven't done something to help you in some way, or if they do something and strings are attached, that's a big red flag. 
if they give to you and then tell you you need to be in X amount of services so many times a week, or if they, yeah, that there's expectations and strings attached to giving, um, big, big red flag. Does the leadership abuse those under their care verbally, emotionally, physically, psychologically, mentally, sexually, spiritually, financially, etc.? If leadership is doing that, you're in an abusive system. Or does the leadership tolerate abuse under their care? So if they themselves are abusive and or they're covering up for abuse, again, verbal, emotional, physical, psychological, mental, sexual, spiritual, financial, etc., then you are probably, you are in an abusive system. Has the leader had sexual relations with someone under their care whom they are not married to? This is not simply an affair. It is spiritual and sexual abuse. Much like offices and positions like a doctor, a nurse, anyone in healthcare, anyone in education, teachers, counselors, people who have sexual relationships with someone that's under them in those jobs would be removed, their licenses would be removed, and they would never be allowed to practice again. This is to be the same with spiritual institutions. Once a leader has done this, they are disqualified for life. For life. For holding the positions of leadership. I asked someone the other day, do you just believe that's pastor, the position of pastor, or do you believe that's for all leadership positions? And this this spiritual leader said all. So take that as you will. But when someone does that, when someone sexually and spiritually abuses someone, it's not an affair. That person has power and control over that other person. They should never be allowed to pastor again. I will just go down fighting on this one. So churches or um, networks that just simply move someone to another place, it's not. It's not okay. Statistics show that that person will prey upon someone again and that will repeat itself over and over again. Is sexual abuse swept under the rug, dealt with in-house, and are you forbidden to go to law enforcement? If you know that sexual abuse has occurred within your institution, if there's a child involved, you must let law enforcement know. If it is an adult, it really is up to the adult to make that decision. Um, Yeah, I'm not going to get into all the ins and outs of that. Oh, that's a huge topic, and please refer to Jimmy and Clara Hinton's podcast, um, Speaking Out on Sex Abuse, because they cover this in great detail. But when a child is involved, let's do the right thing, and let's get law enforcement involved. Sometimes with an adult, we need to let them have that decision and make that decision. But it is not something that the church should investigate. It is something that needs to be given over to law enforcement. If law enforcement does not respond. So I know of several situations where the pastors are in. They have an in with local law enforcement. And so when things have been reported, nothing has been done. Then you go above their head. So if local law enforcement does not take you seriously, then you go to the state. And you just keep going up until somebody listens to you. Are sex offenders allowed inside the institution with a contract or a chaperone? Are leaders aware, but the general population is not? This is a huge red flag. This is a huge red flag. If you were to ask your pastor, do you allow sex offenders on the premises with a contract and a chaperone? And they say, yes, I would say get out now. I feel strongly about this. A lot of times leadership is aware, but the gen pop is not made aware. And that's not fair. Sex offenders should not be 
near those that they can harm again. Oh, what about, you know, loving and forgiving? Again, Jemmy and Clara Hinton talk about this and they talk about this and they talk about this and they do a fantastic job. I'm not the expert on this, but I stand with them in saying, keep these people away from your women and children. Have you been told that covering up abuse is protecting the reputation of the church or of God? That is bull if you've been told that. Covering up abuse does not protect God's reputation. Exposing it and bringing it into the light. God can handle his reputation, but when we are covering up abuse in the name of God, that is what is marring his reputation. We are telling victims that they do not matter, that they are not believed, and they are not seen. And we are essentially telling them as God's messengers that that's what God believes. And that's not true. God cares. He wants to bring dark into light. Do those who leave the institution get pegged as the problem while the leaders or leadership never admit to any wrongdoing? Big red flag. Big red flag. Are you forbidden to discuss why members leave the institution? Mm-hmm. Are you 15 years out and still scared (laughs) to tell people why you left that church? Hmm, Might be a sign there. Is there a long list of former members or attendees who report being abused by the institution or leadership? Red flag, y'all. A fish jumps out of water and we do not blame the fish. We look at the water source. Fish need water to live, okay? So when a fish is jumping out of water and trying to get away from it, it is not going to help us one bit to blame the fish. If we want to know the source of the problem, we have to look at the source of the water. And so many churches have people leaving by the dozens or the hundreds And leadership is always saying it's someone else's fault, but never looking inwardly. Huge red flag. If you're not allowed to question, if you're not allowed to say why or what happened, if you're told that you are a slanderer and a gossip just because you want to know what's going on inside of the church that you attend, that's a red flag. Is marriage idolized over the well-being of individuals? Now, for any of you who know me and know my heart, we discuss this a lot. So if marriage is more important than the well-being, the safety, and the sanity of an individual, big red flag. Is divorce prohibited? Is marital rape tolerated? Big trigger warning here. But if you are being forced to have sex with your husband and you have not consented and or you feel that things will be worse and his wrath will be upon you if you do not consent, that is is marital rape. It is not only a sin, it is also a crime and churches need to speak out against this. Just because you are married does not give you the right to take your wife at any time you want. That is not acceptable. And I, before the last two or three years, had never ever heard the term marital rape. Never heard it. I'm just here to tell you that if you are in a situation where you are Laying there and taking it because you fear the wrath of him if you don't, that's not acceptable. That's abuse. That's rape. Is marriage counseling required where abuse is present? This is a really big and one of the first things I learned in advocacy training is that marriage counseling with an abuser is unwise, unsafe, and unethical. So if you have a church that is forcing you to attend counseling with your abuser, 
the system itself is uninformed and abusive. The, is in-house counseling allowed while outside or secular counseling is forbidden? I have a lot of um, quote marks here. <laughs> so are they constantly pushing their in-house counseling or a specific counseling center that they have approved of while you're being told you can't go outside of this realm or to quote-unquote secular counseling? That's forbidden. That is a huge red flag. Are the things that you shared in quote-unquote counseling used against you? Are you betrayed by them and gossiped about? So there was this thing that we, we attended um, in the G12 model. This is a big deal. So if you're part of a G12 church, you'll know what I'm talking about, these encounters. And so you would go and you would just basically confess every sin that the generations before you and your generation, the generations after you. And honestly, what they were doing, it felt is they were just gathering intel and then when you wanted to help in a certain ministry or a certain capacity, a lot of times those things were used against you. Horribly abusive. Are you expected to, here it is again, are you expected to disclose personal, private, traumatic events to those who are not trained in abuse or trauma? A lot of that was happening in these settings. It was horrifically traumatic to relive generations and generations of sin and trauma and these people weren't trained. And you were just left with these gaping wounds, completely dysregulated in a room filled with other people who are going through the same thing. Is mental illness referred to as demon possession? Mm. Does the institution teach that they are God's favorite and that all other institutions are less than? Hmm. Is there a hierarchy, chain of command, inner sanctum? Clicks, clicks abound inside of these institutions and here it is again you have spiritual FOMO worrying that if you miss a gathering that you will be less than our leaders viewed as, viewed as celebrities oh heavens oh heavens this is PSA y'all Jesus Jesus is the only one who is worthy of our worship and our adoration no man no woman no institution is worthy so if you attend a church where leaders are followed around by little bodyguards and people who carry their Bibles and keep other people away, or if there's a line of people waiting to speak to them, if they never have time for the lowly and it takes you months to get an appointment, these are all signs of celebrity culture and it has no place. It has absolutely no place in the kingdom of God. That's it. There's Jesus and then there's the rest of us. That's it. That's it. Is there a dress code which is written or assumed? And also, when you talk about modesty culture, if a pastor is fixated on talking about the length of girls' skirts and um, you know how immodest girls are, I think you would do yourselves a favor to examine why a 50-some, 30-some, 40-some-year-old man is fixated on how girls dress, because he may be telling on himself, just saying, is there a lack of tolerance for questioning or wrestling with scriptures? We should be able to ask questions. We should be able to have dialogue. We should be able to have conversations in groups with people and discuss and open up the word of God together and not just be spoon-fed and regurgitate what one person or a team of people tells us. Very important. Is it assumed that the leader is always right and that to question him or her is to question God? Guess what? Another PSA. Your pastor is not Moses. Your pastor is not Paul. Your pastor is not God. Your pastor is a mere mortal 
who may or may not have attended and studied to learn the trade <laughs> and the you know he may or may not have gone to seminary or to some kind of a bible school regardless he's not god he's not god and we are all called to dig into god's word and to understand god's word and to learn and not just take one person's word for it is there an overemphasis on forgiveness on the part of victims while accountability for offenders is lacking so forgiveness is very quickly used as a weapon against those who have been harmed. And it's also a get out of jail free card for offenders. Let's be so careful, so careful not to weaponize forgiveness. Do you feel physically ill, anxious, or triggered when you go to this institution? Do you feel awful going in, awful coming out? Are you coming out completely by yourself? Are you sitting by yourself? Is anybody inviting you to go home for dinner or go out to a restaurant? Are you just doing this thing because you felt like it's something you've always done? It's what God requires and expects of you, but you honestly feel physically ill when you're coming and going. That's a sign that it may not be a safe place. Is God's word used as a weapon to beat you up? Are words like bitterness, forgiveness, submission, picking up offenses, giving up rights, and suffering used to shame or blame you? Are you allowed to be authentic or are you expected to present yourself as poised and put together? Do people at your church even know what's going on inside of your home? If they do and they ignore it, you are in a place that is either abusive or is not informed or equipped to handle abuse. If you checked off several or many of these, you are experiencing spiritual abuse. Here's the good news. You're an adult. You have choices. You can walk away from this institution that is unsafe. You can take your children and leave. You do not have to stay one more day. God sees all, hears all, and knows all. You do not have to prove to him that abuse is happening. He will, he will go with you. He will protect you. He will provide for you. So this is not, again, it's not all-inclusive. I am sure that as you're listening, you're thinking of things, your own stories, your own experiences, things that have happened to you. Some of you have come from extremely um, conservative cultures where there's an emphasis on how people dress and there is a gross lack of taking care of sin and crime. You know, that's, that's something we see in a lot of these super, super conservative communities where people, you know, will dress with um, coverings and clerical collars and be allowing rape of children inside of their congregations. I, I can't wrap my mind around how that makes sense to any person. How does that even make sense? That you will judge someone for wearing pants, but you'll allow your leaders to rape children. I, I can't. I can't even fathom. And while that seems completely extreme, there are so many other things that happen inside of churches that completely grieve the heart of God. And so I just want to be one person in your life that is saying to you, that's not God. All these things that I just read do not reflect the heart of God the Father. <laughs> when we read the book of Acts, starting chapter 2, verse 42, where it talks about coming into a place, usually a home, and gathering and breaking bread, and sharing so that nobody goes without. We're not talking about 
one person at the top having a big house and a fancy car and somebody at the bottom not even having enough to scrape together to feed her children. That's not Acts 2, y'all. It's not Acts 2. When we talk about feeding the hungry and giving water to the thirsty, clothing the naked, visiting the sick and the prisoner, being there to take care of widows and orphans. And I have heard this term expanded and I agree 100% that we need to take care of spiritual orphans and spiritual widows, those who have been abandoned. Okay, they've been abandoned by the people who were supposed to take care of them. That's who the church is supposed to be taking care of. So do you have to go to church to be a Christian? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. You do not have to go to church to be a Christian. You can find yourself a safe place. A safe place where you can grow and you can heal. And you can be with other people who understand, who get it. Um, If you're not familiar with K.J. Ramsey, um, I encourage you to grab her book, God is My Courage, The Lord is My Courage. And it is a step-by-step, line-by-line, she goes through the 23rd Psalm. And in that book, she says, Spiritual abuse braces our bodies for harm where there should be help. It twists the sacred into a sword, leaving us subconsciously on alert in case scripture or sermon or small group interaction suddenly becomes sinister. And she says, restoration cannot be rushed. Hypervigilance isn't healed through trying harder. Trust grows as we practice being trustworthy friends to our bodies, believing their cries, responding to their reactions, and giving them room to experience new safety spiritually over time. Don't rush this process. And what I'm finding is that so many women are escaping. They're escaping harmful, harmful marriages. And they're getting out of of these abusive um, home situations. But (laughs) they're staying in toxic churches. And they can't grow. And they can't heal. Because they're still surrounded by abuse. I'm trying to see if I have any more. Um, I know I've got some Diane Langberg. If you are not, if you're not familiar with Diane Langberg, Berg, she is a wonderful resource for all things spiritual abuse and understanding it. And she comes from what I really love about KJ and Diane and some of these others is they come from the angle of of um, being educated about the body, mind, the spirit, nervous system regu- regulation. They're also biblically grounded. And they just are this beautiful like mixture of all the good things. I'm going to see if I can pull up a good Diane quote here. I'm just clicking through. There's so many. If you get into Held and Healed, I have entire collections of quotes and memes from all of these amazing humans. And also the book um, When Narcissism Comes to Church by Chuck DeGroote, Something's Not Right by Wade Mullen. Redeeming Power by Diane Langberg is incredible. 